And welcome back to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, where we talk all of the P's of pelvic health, pooping, peeing, pleasure, pain, physical activity, personal development, and prolapse. I'm your host, Dr. Jocelyn Conley, pelvic floor physical therapist. And in today's episode, I chat with Dr. Megan Daly, also physical therapist, about how grief and loss impacts overall injury risk and the overall healing journey. A lot of times what I see in the clinic is, I mean, the people that I work with have some loss, some degree of loss in their life. Some it's a small, small, a lot of it is bigger than people are comfortable admitting. And then others have really big losses. And in what I've noticed is I mean, I do talk about all the things that impact pelvic health and the healing journey, but it doesn't quite click at the moment when I'm treating a person one-on-one, not usually at least. And um, I met Megan at a business conference and we are friends here in Arizona. And I see how her approach to rehab really takes this into consideration as well. And she has a really great story of how she saw how grief and injury met right up close and personal and how it affected her her recovery and influences how she now practices. We also talk about how the current healthcare system, at least in the States, does not allow for providers like us to really treat a whole person. And so part of our decision of stepping away from the insurance-based model was that as well as we basically, I mean, both of us can, can speak on this. We give up our own health to improve the health of other people. And that is not sustainable. So we go into more detail about how the the gaps in the healthcare system just really don't allow for helping people overcome some of their, some of these losses as along their healing journey. Megan is local to Arizona. So if you'd like to work with Megan, she is just a wonderful person to work with. She's in Scottsdale and works with a lot of weekend warriors. She works with CrossFitters. I mean, she works in a CrossFit gym, but she does treat other populations. And if you'd like to learn more about Megan, you can send her an email. Her email is included in the show notes, or you can also visit her website, moveonthedaily.com, and then follow her on Instagram at moveonthedaily. And then also follow us on Instagram at pelvic docs podcast. And then you can follow me at the dot vagina doc to learn more about all the things that we are doing in the healthcare and fitness space. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you do enjoy this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified every time an episode is dropped. And remember our disclaimer, the information we discuss in this episode is for information and educational purposes only and are not to be used in substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Last thing is if you mention this podcast to Megan and you want to see her, she will take 10% off of a full initial evaluation with her. So let's get on to today's episode. Yeah, there it is. Yep. All right. <laughs> Welcome on to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, Megan. How's it going today? Great. How are you, Jocelyn? I'm doing really well. I'm super happy to be home this Friday. Last Friday, I was in Vegas and I'm just recovering now. That, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Vegas my first. Like, it's like a two to one recovery versus Vegas ratio. Right. I'm, <laughs> it, it like takes a month. 
yeah. we were out like Thursday, Thursday night, last Thursday night we got in, we were out till like, I was out to like two, Dave was out to like three. And then mm. the, the night after that, I'm pretty sure I didn't get into the hotel room till like five. That sounds, yeah. I have like a two night Vegas max, unless it's for like, if I'm going like backpacking or there for like a CrossFit competition, different story. But if it's Vegas, Vegas, two night max, like I can't, I can't do more than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even that, yeah. like I haven't done that in years. <laughs> I have had, I was in Vegas in May for a bachelorette party. So twice in like oh. three months, I'm good for the next five right years. <laughs> Well, this, I got this pierced in Vegas. Okay. I mean, I like it. I, I that's that's what's all there. There are a lot worse things you could come back to Vegas. with. (laughs) I am obsessed with this piercing. It was the best thing I ever did. The funny story was that I just went, I left the pool to work out, to try to sober up. And, um, I brought, I don't know why, but I brought my credit card and license in addition to my room key. And I'm like running and I pass this piercing parlor and I've wanted this because my sister has it. And I was like, court, I text her. She lives in Australia. She never texts me back right away. And she did. And I'm like, mm, that's a sign. So here we are. So let's, let's, before we dive into the conversation today, why don't you tell, tell me, tell us what your background is and how you got into doing what you're doing. Now, what do you do? Yep. Um, I guess I'm Dr. Megan. It still sounds weird for me to say doctor, and especially Dr. Daly, because my parents are physicians. So I'm like, you know what? Like, me. Um, but I actually got into physical therapy because I had three knee surgeries growing up. First one as early as fifth grade, and it was cartilage grafts, most of them. Um so going through the whole rehab process, I actually originally thought I wanted to be an orthosurgeon and then very quickly realized that it wasn't this like, yes, surgeons do a great job. However, the real key was on the other side of things. And I was also in and out as an athlete in and out of PT for non-surgical reasons. And that's when I started realizing like, oh, this is kind of where like the actual like wellness and healthy living comes from. I don't want to go the surgery route unless I absolutely need to. And then it was my, yeah, after that first surgery, I was told a whole lot of nocebo, like a whole lot of like, you'll never do this. You can never do this, including like, you can never run you can never squat heavy. Well, I'm sure we'll go into what I do now, but I do all of those things. Um, <laughs> and I quickly realized even as a kid, A, I was too stubborn to listen. So I still played sports and started lifting and realized as long as I've stayed active and stayed strong, I didn't have knee pain versus I also very quickly realized if I took like four days off of all activity, I started to have knee pain again. Um, so that kind of set me on the path of PT, um, got a little bit diverted from it in college because I, I somehow ended up on the medical school track, not somehow I got pushed that way by my parents. Um, And so I actually have a mathematics degree, almost went into nuclear engineering until I had my third surgery in college and a couple friends went through surgeries that I had already had as a kid. Um, So kind of got back on the PT track three months before graduation. So graduated, then immediately re-enrolled for a year to take all the prereqs that I didn't have, worked full-time to pay for the full-time classes, and then did all of my observation hours. Um... So yeah, that that year was a whirlwind. Um, Then moved out here to Arizona, went through PT school. And then I guess what I do now, so I own an out-of-network clinic inside of a CrossFit gym, um, which actually I really only treat maybe 50% CrossFitters. I treat a lot of your, I guess, average, like middle to older aged adult. Like um, I'm also big in the hiking, trail running, rock climbing, snowboarding scene, I guess, for lack of a like outdoor athlete, however you want to say it. Um, so I've ended up making a lot of connections. And so I see a lot of people who just want to be active and healthy and do all the things that they love to do, whether they're 20 or a hundred, um, which is kind of like, that's why I train. Like I do, that's why I treat people the way I do. Um, so, and I went out of network because after my dad died, I basically had zero tolerance for how corporate healthcare was running. 
Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that one statement that I just said, but basically it took me about a year to actually like build the website on my own time and all that stuff. But yeah, um, was so fed up with corporate healthcare and how it's run and how it doesn't allow you to bring really the psychosocial factors or the amount of strength training that people really need into practice. There are those, they do exist out there, but they're far and few between. Um, so yeah, opened up my clinic January, 2020, um, and been treating people in the gym an hour one-on-one and then, um, several weekends a year, I'm gone teaching continuing education for low back pain management, neck pain management, and then clinical management of the fitness athlete. Yep. So can I, we, we started yeah. with the original injury when you were a kid. Did yep. you have rehab when you were a kid on that first surgery? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, and did I did. You- Although I can't remember entirely. Like, it's tough because I don't really remember. I mean, I, I can tell you, like, I could recognize my PT at this point even. Um, he also, because my parents are physicians in a small town, like, they still know him. Um I don't remember it being very strength training intensive, but that was also like early mid nineties, mid to late nineties. So it wasn't like research back then. Every, like the standards of care were vastly different then. And what they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Who Granted, told no one, you... not, not the corporate healthcare actually follows standards of care these days, but <laughs> right. Who, who told you that you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to do this, do that and do the other the surgeon lift. Yep. The surgeon. And then those were the days still where like, as a therapist, like I can't fault him for not correcting because right. you couldn't see patients unless like someone referred them to you at that time. So. Yeah. yeah. And I want to bring up your state. We're going to get to the, to the dad statement yep. shortly, but I want to bring up how you're not the first person who I've had on the show. And I've said this too, about corporate healthcare, just being fed up. And there's a few clinics that they can pull it off, but they are, I I mean, tell me, they're really, you can't realistically pay your staff. And it depends on like, some of it depends on this reimbursement of the state, yada, yada, yada. But I just find that a lot of people, even if you're in one of the, one of the higher reimbursement states. I, I don't know how much of it is money hungry. I don't know how much of it is just people like delegating to people who don't care as much. Like somewhere along the lines, the culture gets skewed because I actually did work my, f- so I worked for the same corporate healthcare company in Phoenix. Um, and they were small, like husband and wife owned the first couple of years I worked for them. Phenomenal. It was about year three that they did like brought someone in because they were growing exponentially um and did like a full corporate restructure and hired a bunch of people and they they kind of treated some of their loyal employees like shit excuse my language but accurate and one of them in particular was very well loved by everybody and so that kind of like left a bad taste in everyone's mouth and then it like very quickly snowballed from there and so it was about two years later that I came back from everything with my dad and was like yeah no I'm done like this is it's I'm writing this part in my book right now about how my first job Mm -hmm. and that I'm, I'm not focusing on how the, I'm not going to call it insurance fraud, but basically I would spend, I would spend a big portion of my evaluation getting a person's story, but the person's story, a small portion is the actual medical history and the problem that they're coming in for. The real story is, okay, what's going on in your life? What, what do you believe about this? What, what, like all things about food choices, sleep. Oh yeah. Relationships. At this point, there's so much research on sleep. A sleep is the number one like thing that people aren't taking advantage of enough. Yeah. And then Justin Dunaway is a PT that's with um, Institute of Clinical Excellence that says beliefs and expectations drive outcomes, which is 100% true. But the problem with taking like 30 minutes out of a 60 minute eval was that, I mean, I could only bill so much yep. and my, my subjective was too much part of the evaluation. And I could see 60 plus people in a week and not bonus. 
because I didn't reach, I didn't bill enough. And so here I am as this really- Oh, the bonuses are a joke. Right? Or like the, the standards. I was like, they were like, get to 70. I'm like, why, why do I want to get to 70? That's a lot of people in a week. <laughs> yeah. And then it wasn't even just that. It was like minimum, you had to bill this amount. And so for, for those of you that are like, what are they talking about? You might be, you might have the best therapist in the world, but eventually that therapist that is doing everything that they can to provide quality care, but then also make money because they, we don't make money in our profession. If you care, I mean, you can just like collect paycheck and bill a ton and see a ton and, and whatever, but that provider or you burn out like those are the options. Yep. I got to the point. I was, I I was like, I just want to have kids. So I have an excuse. I remember that whenever I first started working, I was six months in, I'm like, I'm definitely having children so I could be a stay at home mom. That was one. And then two, I was like, I'm getting out of this. I'm going back into finishing my engineering degree. And yep. It, it's the so- amount of PTs that are coming out of school already burnt out or within the first year, like making huge career pivots is actually a problem. I can't remember the stats. I read them recently, but it's higher than you would. Well, higher than anyone who's not in the field would expect. I don't think it would come as a shocker to anyone actually in it, but. It's really sad. So I think that we can only take our patients as far as that we take ourselves Mm -hmm. and corporate healthcare, just churn and burn, baby. Patients, employees. Like I said, my, they were really good my first two years. But even then, like I look back and it's like, I still was seeing three an hour and I was convinced by them that that was phenomenal. Now I was allowed, if I had an eval, I could make it to an hour. I could block, but still, but still. And they were like, well, most places make you do four, which is accurate. Most places in Arizona do. So like, but I, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to accept this because it's the lesser of the evils. Like, no, yeah. I don't, not to mention the fact that like even 60 people a week, like you said, check out or burnout, but even so 70 people a week, you are not giving everyone a hundred percent of you. Like you can't physically. No, you, you can't or yeah. cognitively. And this is great <laughs> lead into the next. It's like, okay, so if I'm going to be seeing 50 to 70 people plus a week, I don't want to make a connection. I don't want to know anything about them other than what I need to know. And it's basically let's do the bare minimum or like just enough to get them to the next step. And it's up to them. Yep. Cause otherwise by the end of the day, the amount of energies you've taken on it's heck. Like I don't, I honestly don't understand how I did it because now I will tap out. Like it has to be crazy extenuating circumstances for me to see more than like six, maybe seven a day versus the 20 a day that I used to see. And even at six a day, I'm like, same, dead, (laughs) dead. Yes. (laughs) And, and it's not physical. It's not, it is purely mental and emotional. (laughs) Yes. And it's, but that's the thing. Like if you're, if you're listening to this and you have seen a therapist in a clinic and they're not asking about anything, like lifestyle. The, they need to ask yeah. about lifestyle. <laughs> then they're missing a big piece of this, a yep. huge, like a lot of pain problems, physical manifestation, physical pain is a, there is at least a percentage of that that is from emotional holding patterns in our bodies that we have. In- yep. Especially developed. chronic pain. Yep. Yep. So let's, we're going to get to that soon. Let's talk about your dad. Okay. So I guess I'll give the kind of like synopsis a little bit. Um, I remember getting the call. I was finishing up a full day of patients and got the call from my mom that they had found my dad had had unrelenting back pain, but he, he like, he didn't let on about it a lot. He didn't say a lot. Um, in hindsight, we can see the red flags, but there weren't any major ones that like, like there was no weight loss. There was no hair loss. There was no, it literally was just back pain 
that once he finally would actually answer more questions about it, we realized like wasn't changing with activity, wasn't changing with movement, wasn't changing with position, which at that point would be a red flag, but he hadn't really, like even as a physician hadn't like stated any of those things, he just kind of let it slide. Did we, I convinced him finally to go to PT and then he talked to me one day and I was like, well, I asked him what he was doing. It sounded kind of like what I call a cookie cutter PT. Like he went in for back pain. They were giving him glute bridges and clamshells. Like, yeah. so I was like, okay, like, and he told me he was getting an MRI. I almost tried to talk him out of it, but I was like, you know what? Like, whatever. He's convinced that he needs that. My dad has a very engineer brain. Um, and then I'll talk to him. Like, I'll at least try to like give him better exercises and get a better idea of how his back is presenting. Glad he got the MRI. Um, so they sent him for the MRI because he did four weeks of PT and zero change in his back, which again, I thought was just because they gave him BS exercises. Um, but turned out um, it was, he actually had a phenomenal, like zero disc bulges, which if you're over the age of 20, like that's unheard of. Um, <laughs> um, however, metastatic tumors um, throughout his T-spine and L-spine. Um, so then they started. So that's all we knew at that point. We knew it was cancer. We knew it was metastatic. We didn't know where it was coming from. So I immediately, this is where I will give that company credit. I immediately called the owner of it. It was like, I'm getting all the FMLA paperwork together. I'm flying home. Um, and so I, I flew home. I was at his next doctor's appointment with him where they got a PET scan. Um, and they found a spot in his lungs. They, they had seen it on the CT scan. They didn't think it was anything though, because my dad had had lung surgery, like way back in the seventies, 60s, 70s, something like that. Um, lit up on a PET scan. I don't know if you've ever seen a PET scan, but it lights up bright yellow. Um, and that was the only spot other than his back. So that started. And for those of you who are listening, like lung cancer stats are not good. Um, it's generally caught too late. It's generally caught by the time that it metastasizes like it was in my dad, because it doesn't really show symptoms unless you get lucky enough for it to be somewhere that causes a cough that's unrelenting that might get you to get a chest x-ray. Um, they basically, they give him the prognosis of six, three to six months to live. Um, and this is a guy who was like golfing and like very active, very healthy otherwise, except for the back pain that had started to really give him problems. Um, so I then started a pattern of flying back to South Carolina for two weeks, acting as his caregiver. Cause my mom was still a physician. If she didn't work, there was no money coming in. Um, my dad had literally just retired and then flying back for two weeks and working so that I could spread out my FMLA until we had a better idea. And while my company knew this. I was putting in for my South Carolina PT license so that I could get a PRN job there and actually move there until he passed. Cause the, this, we knew the stats were not in the favor of him surviving this. Um, so that was, a, it took about two months for my license to go through. So I did it's probably almost closer to three months of me doing the two weeks back and forth. Um, then moved back into my parents, basically picked up a two PRN jobs um, and would work, would be my dad's caregiver like three days a week, almost four days a week, like basically caregiver and then work some. So it was kind of like a mix um, until he made it. The call that I got was beginning of May. Um, he passed in October. And then I stayed through the end of the year because I had everything set up with the jobs. I, I knew that I would have more flexibility as a PRN staff there um, versus coming back and trying to start working again. And then also like help my mom transition um, and help her out. Like she was used to my dad, even before retiring had gotten, had always like taken afternoons off to take care of the house and take care of the dogs. And like, he was kind of the more like he worked, but was the stay at home person ish. So I kind of helped her transition. Um, and then January came back, started at my job part-time with benefits. So I started at like 30 hours a week, knowing that I wasn't going to be able to go like full send 40 hours a week. Like I had, 
Um, started doing EMDR therapy, which for anyone who doesn't, is an eye movement, something, I don't remember the exact acronym, but basically it's, it uses lights or taps to connect right and left brain while you think through stuff to help you process faster. Um, which was amazing. Highly recommend it to anyone who's gone through an adult trauma. Um, but very quickly realized when I got back that I just didn't have the capacity to really be there for my patients. And they either needed to understand that, or I needed to not see that patient that I could be there for them, but I was also dealing with stuff. Therefore, like I, I may not be a hundred percent present. I was still giving my all, but my all was just different. If that makes sense. Um, about this, it was it February. So that's the dad stuff. February, I went snowboarding. So this is like a month from being home. Grief didn't really hit from October until January. And I think it was coming back to Arizona and not being, not having a task of taking care of my mother, um, which she would hate that taking care, helping, whatever. Um, January, it started to hit. So by February, I went snowboarding and got distracted for a split second. Like if anyone's dealt with grief, it hits you in waves. It hits at random times. This wasn't like a full blown, like I didn't like randomly start crying out of nowhere, which happened on a regular basis, um, especially the, for the first year. But I remember coming down the mountain, it was towards the bottom. So it sh I should have just been able to coast. And my mind just got distracted for a second thinking about him. And I caught an edge and went down. I am a strong enough human. I should have been able to sustain that fall. No problem. Like that whole Mark Ripto quote, like stronger people are harder to kill is legit. Like the stronger, more resilient your body is, the more you can take an acute to chronic workload ratio, the more you can take a fall without an injury kind of thing. That was not the case here because I had grief on board and was distracted and had emotional stressors that made it so that my threshold was vastly lower than usual. So I ended up sustaining a slap tear. Um, I also had some referred stuff from C5, C6, but I never like, I never actually got imaging for anything, but slap tear and something at C5, C6 that was referring to the shoulder. So, yeah, I know that was a lot. So I feel like there might be questions. I'm just going to yeah. pause. <gasps> so slap tear is a shoulder injury for anyone oh, yeah. who's like, what's a slap tear? Yeah, uh, label tear. More people recognize that I feel. There was a lot in that that I, that to unpack, but one I want to go back to that you said is like how grief brings down your thresholds for being susceptible for to anything, to acute yeah. injury, to illness, and yeah. hell, I even have a chart written on my whiteboard in my clinic that stays up there that has like the threshold written and then boxes that say like stress, sleep, and diet are like the main contributing factors. And then it's your activity. Yeah. So did you, what was, what were, how are those from October to January? How is sleep diet? How are those lifestyle? Those were surprisingly from October to January. Those were okay. Cause I think like I said, grief didn't really hit hard. The reality of the situation didn't really hit until January when I slowed down enough because I was so focused on my mom and so focused on just daily things for her. Like she was my purpose for that time. So I think it was easy to just almost put blinders onto a lot of other stuff. Um, I take that back. There was obviously some stressors that I just wasn't aware of, but that felt okay. Diet was fine um, because that I knew I could control diet and I could control activity. So I still was doing CrossFit every single day throughout this whole thing. Um, and I still was eating well, tracking macros, all that stuff, because that I could control. Um, sleep wasn't phenomenal, but it, again, it got worse. Like it got bad in January when everything started to actually hit. So did this experience give you insight on some of the things that people are people that we are around every day that they're carrying, you know, like the people with chronic back pain or. 100%. I mean, I, I kind of knew this already mostly because I actually had, um, I still remember there's one particular patient who unintentionally taught me. She was never ready to hear it. So I never really got to have this conversation with her, 
but she came in with low back pain, chronic, debilitating low back pain. When I say I tested everything and I tested it lightly and everything made her scream, like I'm not kidding. Um, isometric clamshells made her cringe. Light, like grade one mobs, horrific pain. I'm like, nothing made biomechanical sense, nothing. Sensory was off the charts. She was hypersensitive to everything. And I remember it was the first time I really hadn't dealt with pain science. I hadn't even like gone that realm because we don't really learn it in school. We should, but we don't. Um, and I remember she didn't have any changes. I couldn't figure out anything. And I was so frustrated doing that eval. And I finally just sat down and asked her about her life. And she started venting about her son-in-law. And literally within, I just let her go for like 30 minutes and her pain went from a 12 out of 10 to a seven out of 10, which still is high, but you know, that that's, I will take that considering everything else increased it. Um, and then, so I used that as a way, she still really wouldn't tolerate any manual, but like over the next couple sessions, I finally got her to that where I could do some stuff, but it, every session, she didn't know that I was doing this because I would actually like I would do placebo stuff. Like I put her on a hot back and started having her do isometric clamshells when she could. And like very basic stuff that I knew wasn't doing a damn thing to her back, but it distracted her enough. So she thought I was doing something medical while I just talked to her about her life. Um, so anyways, that's the first time that I started to realize that that was like a thing. I was probably my, yeah, my second year of practice. Um, started to get really curious about it. And then going through it myself, it, it's a different level of empathy that you have for people going through it when you've gone through it yourself. Um, because that level of grief, like I, unless you've gone through it, you don't fully grasp it. Like there's no way. And everyone is a little going to be a little bit different. Everyone experiences everything a little bit different. It shows up differently. Um, and this was a, I call it like a major trauma. You can still have micro traumas that drastically affect how you feel things. Um, have you ever read body keeps the score? Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend that book to like yep. anybody. Um, because it goes over how little things like just not even, even as simple as like not feeling hurt as a kid. Right can actually show up in the body later in life and cause stress, like physical stressors that we don't realize the origin of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, like the experience for sure made me, not only did it make me have more empathy for people with like major traumas or be able to better ask the questions on what's going on in your life and able to explain it better so that people aren't like, wait, you're not, you're saying it's in my head. Cause that's, that's the risk. <laughs> it's people right. think we're doing that. And we're like, ah, well, no, but yes, but no. Um, but it also helped me realize I had never re realized like the little micro traumas that I had had as a kid. Cause we all do and how they had affected me until that point. And then that's what actually I had started doing some personal development work actually like literally a month prior to getting that phone call. And that kind of like pushed it full force um, into recognizing that I needed to take care of the emotional and mental side, not just the physical side of my body. So using that, what at the end, when you were talking about the beginning or when you mentioned you got fed up with corporate healthcare after the passing of your dad, Yep. can you unpack that like what why? so a lot of that was because it corporate healthcare is so focused on outcomes and you can't quantify like the emotional and mental part of it you just can't like um the closest we can get is maybe like a pain pressure threshold test as like how to quantify it but that doesn't really take into account the pain science education that you do and all this other stuff not to mention the fact that like to build that kind of rapport first off to even start that conversation, but then that conversation alone, like there's always a lot to unpack, especially with chronic pain. 
seeing three people an hour, like I don't have time for that. Like there's no way I can even begin to address it or I can begin to address it and get cut off in a really bad place and which can actually potentially worsen things. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's not even talking about the fact that like, I think every PT clinic should have a squat rack, which is also a problem, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) What? I'm going to bring up a personal example and um, get your thoughts on, on just overall the CrossFit community or the really like not weekend warrior, but warrior type person. Yep. So, I mean, I literally would just overwork myself, push so hard in the gym, take care of everyone else, but myself and everyone around me was doing the same and encouraging the same. And I've been working on, I've been reparenting myself in the last year. <laughs> and the other day, or a couple of weeks ago, I was just sobbing because for years I've just denied the trauma, the much, like, and it's not major trauma that people think of. Like I wasn't repeatedly raped. I mean, I was beat really badly a couple times and same with my siblings which apparently wasn't normal where my parents said other people get beaten beat beat as kids but anyways I would deny all my parents it was great I I had such I should be grateful and in order for me to get some of the stuff out to write my book, I was, I had to process it and it, and I just was uncontrollably like, I can't even describe it, but I feel like I've had been in denial and my body has been trying to tell me in certain ways and my behavior is like, no, I'll just push harder. I'll just push, push harder. I'm tough. I could just push harder. And I think that's common it's very and, common in the CrossFit community. And it almost, now I'm almost like, ugh, I could feel it. I could feel the pain that people are trying to push away by pushing themselves harder. And when they aren't feeling great, what do they do? Or what do we do? I don't do this anymore, but I just either push harder or I just quick fix it. And the mention of, hey, what's going on? Like people flee. They don't want to talk about it. Or they they did what I do. So how do you notice that? And what do you, how do you? It Yes and no. So I have noticed it in certain CrossFit gyms. Because, you know, like every Cross, yes, there's the global like CrossFit community and the stereotypes that go with that. But every gym's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like, I know my old gym, 100% like felt that it's part of why I left. It was very much a go, 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 go. You got to go hard, which I was very similar in that. I feel like there's a lot of like type A females. Um, and you probably work with a lot of them because a lot of them end up with like hypertonic pelvic floors and they leak. Yes. Um, but then they don't want help. They deny it. Exactly. And they're like, they, yeah. I don't that, have any problem. Yeah. That kind of mentality is <laughs> rampant in really any, like, it's not just the CrossFit community. It's any highly competitive atmosphere. Right. Um, for sure. But those com- CrossFit's just like what we're both in. Um, so the more like competitive or like go hard all the time gyms, I think those cultivate that culture a little bit more versus the gym I'm currently in. I don't feel that as much because there's a lot of people who are very focused on personal development in addition to crushing themselves in the gym. So there is there's a lot more, I guess, acceptance for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few people, like I, I can think of a few athletes because I'm a coach at the gym as well. So I can think of a few people that I recognize that in and I feel like that go hard mentality is a coping mechanism. Um, like our yeah. biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses. Like, yes, go hard. And I th- I was actually just having a conversation with someone the other day, like there's this whole hustle culture mentality that now people are trying to swing and go the like, oh, cost, give yourself grace mentality or like avoid the hustle. And I think there's like many things. There's a happy medium that needs to be done because you also can't just constantly give yourself grace and never do the work. Like that doesn't right. work here. No. Um, but that hustle, 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 I think a lot of that 
is typically a coping mechanism. And I feel it could be major traumas. I feel like more commonly that is a micro trauma response because it's easy to build that up over time without recognizing that you're doing it. And then because it's like almost celebrated, it's really hard to recognize the prop, the underlying problem that's there. So well said. Like there's, there's a lot of benefits to having that mentality. Hell, I was one of them until grief slammed me so hard that I couldn't ignore it anymore. So like when I say I came back and I couldn't handle doing like 40 hours a week, I don't even know if today that, and I'm three years out and I'm, I guess hand, like grief never gets lesser. It, you just get better at handling it. Um, so like I'm in a much, much better place. Very rarely does grief, like, I can't tell you the last time it's overwhelmed me. It'll hit me, but it won't overwhelm me anymore, really. Um, But a lot of that's because I took a full year where I allowed myself to work through the feelings instead of fighting them, which I think is where a lot of people go wrong. Um, What's the podcast I listened to? There's one that talked about, like, if you fight your feelings, they just grow stronger. You actually have to feel them and process through them. Um, But I don't know if I could... I cannot still go at the same level that I could pre his diagnosis. And it's because everything, like it just slammed me so hard and made me realize the patterns. And so now I've undone, undone those patterns. So like, I know good and well, like I could get back there. I don't want to though. It's not a healthy place to be. What are those patterns for you? Um, I start to recognize them actually now a little bit more. Um, I'm going to go by like some of the things that I notice versus the actual patterns. So I'll notice myself getting more irritable. Um, I snap a little bit easier. Um, I don't sleep as well. My anxiety gets higher. Like it's all these little, oh, and I just feel like if I actually pay attention to my breath, I'll start to realize that I'm like just tense everywhere. Those are kind of the main ones. I I would say the tense and the irritability are the two. Like I'll recognize it. Like I snapped or like started perseverating on something. And I'm like, that's, that's not a big deal. Like what's, what's up with me. Um, Those are probably the big ones. And if I look back in my life, when I ran it, like I say high frequency, but like your stereotypical, like type a always on the go, like, like this person, um, I remember blowing up at roommates in college over not being able to find my jeans. And they turned out to be like, I I don't even know. I think I had like stuffed them underneath my desk. Like there was like, it, it should not have been that big of a deal. And I made it a big deal because I just ran at such a high intense frequency that anything would trigger and set me off. Um, And I feel like I, I managed it by going hard all the time and pushing myself all the time. Um, Yeah, I think the biggest patterns are if you are constantly on the go or if you notice yourself constantly talking about how stressed you are, how busy you are, you're you're probably coping. Calling me out. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, I get anxiety if I wake up later than 4.30 a.m. Yeah. Like why? Like, right. I I get it. Cause I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm at the, I'm, I'm at different phases right now of being, being able to take a step, a step back and observe. Oh, there she's, there she's getting. Exactly. And that's the biggest part. Like once you can recognize when you are falling back into patterns or allowing, like that's the biggest thing because it will be a constant, like no one's ever like fixed or no one's like to use the current trendy term. No one's fully woke. Like you will constantly unlearn and relearn things. And life is going to continue to show you the same lesson that you need to learn until you actually learn it. And even once you do, it's not saying that it won't ever show back up again. Like, I mean, how many people during this pandemic had random old shit pop up? Like me, there's so many, like the level of, I can't control a damn thing right now that showed up during the pandemic triggered some patterns that I had learned from and had to relearn from the grief stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like, it, there's like themes of grief, like grief over relationship loss or change or identity. 
also grieving who you were prior to that change. Like that was the big thing that um, my psychologist actually helped me realize because I had gotten to a point where I felt pretty like I had processed through a lot with my dad and I was like, I'm still stuck. And she's like, you're grieving who you were before this happened. Yeah. It makes total sense. So when you improve, like you're, when you're able to recognize it in one area of life, it's like, it doesn't mean it's going to be showing up. You're, you're good at doing it in other areas. So could we talk about identity for a second? So a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are moms. And I think a lot of them, this is PS, this is my way of calling you out without actually calling you out to your face. (laughs) but some of you, I still call you out to your face, uh, is they want to go back to who they were or their, like their physical freedom, which if we're really honest, they, if they're really being honest, they weren't that happy with their body then either. Yeah. No, we just find a new problem to fixate on. Yeah. So how, how can someone get to a place where they're open to recognizing that it's they need to go through a grieving process in order to see results with someone like you or myself in in rehab or whatever it it is it doesn't have to be pt yeah that one's tough because it's going to be so vastly different for everyone um for me i started recognizing so like when i don't feel a hundred percent like okay with myself my go-to at this point is to sit down and just start brain dumping onto paper. Um, one trick, I can't even remember where I picked this up at this point, but I'll write down all the things that I'm not happy about or that I don't like. And then I go through one by one and cross them out and write down all the reasons I know that's not true. If that makes sense. Like, for example, like I don't feel good enough as a PT cross that out all the reasons why, like all the things that patients have said about me, all like the results that I get. And it comes down to like, all right, no, I actually like, I'm a really damn good PT and go like, that's just the easiest example for me, but go through the entire list. So if it's like, I'm not a good enough mom, scratch that out, write all the little things that you can see that counter, like basically explain why that's complete BS. Um, so that's one of the tools that I find very helpful. Um, or even just writing down how you feel, because a lot of times if you're brain dumping, you'll be able to suddenly realize either a pattern or the underlying thought with it that you need to tackle. Cause a lot of times it's generally, it's like a spider web. We have like one thing in our life kind of go wrong or get off. And it ends up creeping into all the others because there's just a thought pattern that perpetuates. And it's generally the same one. It's just sometimes harder to recognize. Um, I'm trying to think another, this is one that started, made me realize like an underlying truth that I needed to work on or like an underlying belief. Uh, it's called the seven whys. So you write down the statement of like, I'm not feeling good about my body because of this why? And you legitimately have to answer why. You ask yourself seven different times why, which by the fourth or fifth gets not only really challenging, but it starts to actually get at what the real underlying reason is because you've woven through all the bullshit at that point. Um, Again, most of these are going back to writing, but I find that those are super helpful to kind of realize where you're lying to yourself and where your patterns are. That's really helpful. The seven whys. I know that people like to bypass that, but you got to just keep going deeper. Yeah. It'll get really uncomfortable by about the fourth one. Yeah. So what about, what are your thoughts on the type of person that has chronic pain and they're trying every solution, like every provider, every treatment, and they're still in pain. Is that a sign? Would you say that that's a sign that they're? I would say they need to look and see what all providers they have used. And the first question that I would ask is, are they all 
biomechanical providers. Has anyone addressed emotional? Because you haven't tried everything if you haven't tried lifestyle and emotions. Mm-hmm. But lifestyle probably, eh, I don't actually know which one I would want to tackle first. But like if you haven't addressed sleep, stress, diet, like you're, you haven't tried everything at that point. And if you've had like actually tried, like committed, because I think, what is, what is it? It's like 21 days to actually make a lifestyle change or make a habit stick. Like if you, it's really easy to stick with for a week, but if you haven't like really stuck with it for 21 days, at least mm-hmm. you haven't actually tried everything. I'm, a, I'm almost, and it depends on the person, but when it comes to choosing either lifestyle or emotions, I think people they have like, let, let's start. I would almost food. say you need both. Like you need to address yeah, the yeah. lifestyle. It's just, I wouldn't try to tackle more than one at a time. Right. You can't. Because that'd be but overwhelming. Like pick one that's the least scary to you to start with and then start to unravel everything from there. Like if the idea of going and doing any kind of therapy is like a huge wall, then don't start there. Pick one thing that might help improve your sleep. Try that. Mm-hmm. eventually once you like start to slowly chip away at the wall by working on the other stuff, you'll get to whatever others you need to address. Yeah, totally. And just like, regardless, I would say I'm speaking for me, from my, my standpoint, I used to abuse myself with food big time. And I was the opposite. I would, I would eat like a massive amount to make me so sick that I couldn't work. And I couldn't think, or I'd drink to the point of oblivion. And um, now I have taken the role of the observer. I'm like, okay, I'm going to the, to the, to the, the cabinet. And this is, this is what I'm doing right now. But like with my patients, I'll ask them like, Hey, are you eating enough? Most of my clients at this point, I'm, I, I see people that are more active. They're almost like obsessive with health. And so probably not getting all the calories they need for that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they'll say, Oh, I'm eating well. And no, sometimes, I would argue, like, especially in the CrossFit community, it's very common oh. to under eat or I have one right now who eats really clean under eats and then gives himself like one cheat day. But that one cheat day sets him back so far and I can't, I can't get him to change it yet. And he, he's wondering why he's not progressing. So would you say for him, there's an emote because food can be a tool or a weapon that you use against yourself. 100%. Yeah. Yep. How do you, how, how, and hopefully this podcast is one of those like, like poking (laughs) at people, but like, how do we access or like, how do we get there? And I don't think. Honestly, it's whatever triggers you to be done with your own bullshit. Like as harsh as that may sound, love it. It's oh, accurate. <laughs> love it. So, how would you say that to like? Let's say if you were treating me, I actually do say that to my patients. <laughs> yeah, tell me how because I want to start saying it. Are you done with your own bullshit? Yep. Yeah, I, I legitimately. If granted, I have to have the rapport to actually pull that and have them not right. get super defensive. Um, because if you don't like, if I if that were like visit one, that's not going to go well. Like they're going to go on the defensive. I would too. Fair enough. Same. Um, but yeah, like if they, if it's like the fourth time that they're in with some random extra flare up and we've talked before and I've given enough, like, cause I generally will like, sprinkle in, like, I guess they'd call, be called teasers of like little things of like sleep or stress or something where it's trying to think of a good example of like a lot of times it'll be that I'll give them the task of trying like drop the thermostat in your room two degrees for the next week and see how better you sleep. And then when their pain levels drop and we haven't done anything else, like start to kind of like connect the dots. So I've generally done something to connect the dots like a little bit. And then if there's still like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I do. And then just let them sit with that. And then when they okay. start to come back and they're like, well, I'm like, are, are you done with your own bullshit? Can that be the title <laughs> of this episode? Are you done with your own bullshit? <laughs> I'm sure. Go for it. <laughs> All right. And that one, one, 
One other scenario. Okay, you have a, a person that loves to, let's, let's say, hike. But they're afraid to hike because they're afraid their pain's going to come back. They've had chronic pain and finally they've gotten... How do you, I mean, there's no a lot of education on graded exposure. Um, but then I also, it's like, we'll talk about graded exposure. And then I might like for that person, if it's hiking, I'm going to have them do box step ups or something that isn't in that same environment, but is basically the same thing as far Mm -hmm. as like muscle function. Um, it's very similar to like, if I have someone who's scared of a barbell, Cause I do like, I actually have funny enough, even though I'm in a CrossFit gym, like I said, I work with a decent number of non-CrossFitter, like average middle-aged to older adults who have never touched a barbell before in their life. That's the person that I'm going to have just like messing around, carrying a kettlebell and then picking it up from the ground and taking it over somewhere. And I'm eventually going to get them to a point where they are picking up a kettlebell that's heavier than the barbell. So it's easy for me to be like, well, that's lighter. Why are you scared of it? And it's like this light bulb clicks for them. Very similar to like, for that example, I'm going to have them do box step ups. I'm going to have them do lateral step up and step overs. I'm going to have them do jump rope, something that mimics the same kind of muscle activity that you need for hiking. And then if I bring up hiking and I see, like, you know, the, the face I'm talking about where they're like, Oh God. Um, yeah. <laughs> then be like, One, you just did something harder than that. Two, how about we start with this hike? And I'll pull up, like I'd normally pull up all trails at that point and would like pick like gateway loop or something that's mostly flat, like not that long and just be like, all right, let's start here. We'll work up to whatever you want. It could be Humphreys. I don't care, but let's start low, whatever you are comfortable with. And then generally that's the person that comes back and did like two or three hikes. Like they did way above what I suggested because they felt fine on that first one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any people that say, Oh, first what's graded exposure. And then second, do you have people that say, well, if I can't do this, then I don't want to do it at all. If I can't RX, I don't want to show up calling out CrossFitters. Right. (laughs) so again the second one goes back i'll come back to the great exposure but that one i think a lot of that has to do with the community and the mentality the person who wants to do rx or nothing is typically going to be the overachiever who's coping for something like their addiction is competing at athletic events instead of alcohol but it could be just as dangerous. i don't know if i should say just as dangerous but it's the same idea as far as like having something to replace and needing, I actually just, I have a friend who the other day I was asking about a local competition coming up and she was like, I'm, I'm not competing until I can win. And I was like, okay. Like knowing that that was not the time or place to like unpack that. But I was like, huh. All right. Like my immediate thought is that's unhealthy. We'll, we'll address that later. <laughs> um, If that's the person that I'm going to slowly try to learn more about them and figure out where, where the block is, but there's something emotional. There is something that's going on underneath that creates that mentality. Um, So yeah, that's, I generally don't, I guess I don't like directly address it, but I address it by leaving that and then just trying to figure out what area of their lifestyle or their background do I need to like slowly like drop like little hints on of like, "Hmm, maybe you should look into this. Um, Graded exposure is basically it's like, it's that whole, like if you have a big goal, break it down into smaller goals and start the small one and build your way up. Same concept just for activity. So like if you want to run Actually, I'll use myself as an example. So I did a 25K trail race after my dad died. Um, Had never trail run before. Listened to David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me and went out and ran six miles. The only reason I can get away with that, because that was was probably like eight months after. So I had like gotten, like I had built strength back up. Um, The only reason I can get away with that is because of the under, like the baseline strength that I have. I wouldn't recommend trying to just go run six miles on a trail. Um, 
but I started there and I knew, okay, there's this race. that's a 25 case about 16 miles. So graded exposure is exactly what I did. So if six was my baseline, I added a half a mile to a mile every week, but I didn't add more than that. Um, typically with like weightlifting, it's going to be no more than 10% a week is what you want to add on so that you're not um, acute to chronic workload ratio. Like if you make too big of a jump, um, then it's, you're potentially going to cause a setback. So graded exposure is kind of taking that into account. Like if you want to go hike the Grand Canyon, let's start with some smaller hikes, less elevation, and then slowly build up elevation and or distance. Don't build both at the same time, but yeah. That's a, I think a lot of people can, I mean, that, that that's an, a pretty easy concept for those that listen that a, like maybe have pain with sex or just had a baby, maybe don't just go to town your first time. Instead, put your put your own finger in there and test the waters instead of going to pound town six weeks after having your vagina. Yeah, just because you get the green light does not mean go full send. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, so what would you say... What would your tips be on tips be for people? Let's, let's pick two to three tips for people that are, that have like chronic low back pain or some sort of other nagging injury that they have tried getting treatment for. And, but it's all been biomechanical. What would you say to do like that they can immediately take action on? So first one would be address sleep unless they are getting seven plus hours of good monophasic sleep a night. Um, and there's multiple ways you can track that. Um, I use whoop there, but there's a ton of them. Um, that would probably be a whole other podcast. It's a lot of info. Um, first one is sleep though. That needs to be the number one thing to adjust. And I would say, I'll just throw out a couple things that you can do to try to help improve sleep. But I feel like the main one or the main two in our society, um, I've heard a lot of people say like, drop the temperature in the room. Apparently, supposedly ideal is 64. That That's a no-go for me. I compromise at 68. That's Yeah, cold. I would freeze. I would absolutely freeze. Um, but the two big ones, I think is no screen time within two hours of bed. Which, so does that mean, what if I get done with working at seven and I get... I, or 8 p.m. Oh my gosh. Figure it out. <laughs> Love the, it. The best option, like if you absolutely have to, is blue light glasses at least, but try to just not have screen time within two hours of bed. Um, and then the other one, your bedroom should only be for sleep and sex. Stop reading in bed, stop eating in your room, stop doing anything else sleep and sex. And that's it because otherwise your brain's going to associate it with other things and it's going to be harder for you to sleep. Those I think are the two big ones from our society. Um, there's a bunch of other ones as far as like get blackout curtains, like invest in those. But again, going back to what I said earlier, just pick one thing. I know I just threw out a couple ideas for sleep, but just pick one to address first and then work on a second one once that one's solid. Um, so sleep would be number one. If especially chronic low back pain, if you, and it's tough too, because I would also want to know like, okay, have the providers that you've seen tried to address anything else? Like I would, one of the other tips would be find a provider that actually addresses lifestyle issues. If they're not asking about it, you need someone else, um, especially with chronic pain. And then third, I would start to write down when it increases, I would start to write down like what stressors or what thoughts you're having and see if there's a pattern as far as negative thoughts or stressors in your life or something, or just go see a psychologist if that's something that you're open to, but because they might help you recognize those patterns a little bit faster. I'm trying to figure out like how to do like one tip for like a psychosocial factor, but basically that's what I'm trying to get at is um, either if you're up to it, see a psychologist, try to recognize the patterns yourself or read body keeps the score. Cause that's the good one to recognize patterns. Cause it gives enough examples in there that one of them will resonate with you. 
Yeah. The book, How to Do the Work, I just read it. Ooh, I've heard um, of that one. She's on Instagram at the holistic psychologist. Yep. And I've read a bunch of books that that kind of put it all together in like one, which was, which is good. Like, yeah, that I think body keeps the score can be somewhat technical to someone that didn't, doesn't have a ton of help. That's fair. I have an engineering slash math slash science head. So, but, but, uh, the holistic, the, the, how to do the work takes body keeps the score and makes it a lot easier to read. Yeah. I don't think it's as long either, but body yeah, keeps the score is, is kind of long. But yeah, it's good. Though. To improve your sleep, find a different provider that actually addresses lifestyle. Because if you're having chronic pain, it's not just biomechanical. Um, and then third, you could even get to step two and then have that person help you figure out what the third one is like for psychosocial. Like that's actually what I would recommend is just do those first two. And then the provider that you find will help with the others. Great tips. So is there anything else that you want to add? Um, I would say, so I talked about the fact that I had a slap tear Mm-hmm. Um, or the, the labral tear in my shoulder. And I, I am convinced, like, I know for certain, I would not have sustained it if I wasn't in the middle of grief. The other point component of that is that should have been a four to six month rehab with how it presented. And it was more of like an eight to 10 month rehab because I was also still deep in the middle of grief. So rehab, the process took longer because I was still dealing with the emotional side of things. So if you're listening to this and you're like, if you're resonating with it and you're like, this is me know that whatever pain you're dealing with, it might take a little bit longer to recover from simply because of all of this, but that's totally fine. And especially like, yes, will it take a little bit longer if you're also doing the deep inner work for the psychosocial factors? Yes. Will you be a thousand fold better for doing the work in the long run? Also? Yes. Oh, on that note, (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your story, Megan, and sharing all your tips. I'll put all of your information in the, in the show notes, but Megan is located in central Scottsdale, right? Yep. Yep. Central Scottsdale. And she has a really nice office in a really easily accessed area. She has all the things to her disposable to use. So if you're in her area and you'd like to work with Megan, her info will be in the show notes. Sweet. So today, Megan, did we get real? Yes. (laughs) All right, guys. Until next time on Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs.